Hi, welcome to episode six of Friends Beer Coffee, an autobiographical podcast for the hell of it. I'm your host, Joel Gratzik, dad, son, and occasional rabble rouser. Tonight's guest is Bob Gratzik, my father. How are hey. you feeling tonight? I'm, I'm feeling okay tonight. Good. We've been meaning to record this episode for probably forever now, I guess. Yeah. Um, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself to uh, anyone that's listening? Oh, wow. You know, you, you think about podcasts and what what is going to be out over the waves for everyone and kind of puts a, puts in perspective, you know, the whole morale, not more morality thing, but mortality. Yes, later. Mortality, there you go. Yeah, but I was, you know, thinking about the, the uh, one of those, um, well, you put a message on the stone uh, epitaph, that's it. Your epitaph, and I've had to write several epitaphs in my in my life since I'm turning 62 this week. And I think the one I liked the most was, see, I told you I was sick. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was good. <laughs> see, I told you I was sick. Is that is that something that you read in a book someplace? Yeah. Yeah. But it was I, I was memorable, you know. Uh, I have a hard time with memorizing things, so that was a good one. But I think the the real one, the real side was, is I'd like to put what you did, which how you introduced yourself tonight was, you know, we play many roles, and women right now are, you know, coming out and being independent and all of their rights and things like that, and that's fine. And I, I do, I, I appreciate women in our lives, grandmothers, mothers, aunts, daughters, didn't have any sisters. Um, but uh, so you play those roles, and at first you get thrown into the role, you know. I was the oldest cousin of all the cousins, so my job in any family gathering was you get the kids' table, you take care of the kids' table. So I always ended up with sitting with <coughs> infants all the way up to where I was at as a preteen, you know. I just hated that. but. Hey, free food, what are you going to say? I like free food. Yep, free food. And then we played cards. I was I was a, a card-playing family, so after we got done with the meal, and the women went into their room to clean up, and the men went in to get ready for the card games, and it was just routine, you know. If I think of anything back then, in the 60s and 70s, um, there was a social routine that you went and it's pretty accurate, like on movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. You see the polyester plaid pants with flare bottoms. <laughs> with a floral shirt. Okay. And uh, that was pretty typical. You, you, Everything went stripes and flowers and checks and whatever, you know. But, uh, I don't know. I think um, I didn't finish my thought, but the thought was the real epitaph I wanted was, is that I was, or tried to be, uh, a good father, a good friend, uh, a good brother, a good grandson, you know, and I, I tried, but I never made it up. I had this insatiable desire to sing and be involved in musicals and have a recording contract and you liked singing as as a little kid. As, oh yeah, as every that was, that was everything to me. And uh, I'm just three decades too late with all these contests. You know, mm. I had Macon Delavan as my voice coach, and he was the same as Sandy Patty and um, Steve Green. And uh, I learned from him, and he taught me until he said, "I can't teach you anymore." He said, "You're right there with him," but unfortunately, I always weighed over 300 pounds back then. And, and people won't listen to you if you're fat, so. Uh, not my problem now, is it? No. No, you're... I dropped over 100 pounds in a few months, and I look totally different again. So it's pretty interesting. But that's it. I could go on and ramble forever. I'm oh, a good, good. good rambler. That's you gotta you gotta corral me. You like, well, you know, it, it is what it is. You, you're being yourself, and that's good. Yeah. Um, when you were a kid, tell me a little about a bit about childhood. Uh, 
I have always had to make it lighthearted because it was so sad. And, uh, you know, we were what they called middle class or just under, I would say. But Dad always wanted to be the middle class. He always wanted to have the money that backed up the car and the house, you know, but he never did. And uh, so I learned at a very young age to fend for myself. When I was 12, my dad said, that's it. You know, any personal things you want, you buy for yourself, you pay for yourself. That includes clothing, you know, mm. everything you want, you pay for it. If there's something big you want, then we can help you out on with a car or something like that, you know. And he did not give him that. He helped me with the first couple cars. But that's because it was his, his interest. My dad's interest was cars, too. And my uncle's Chuck. They were both interested in cars. Um, childhood. Alcohol, alcoholism and drug addiction have separate groups. You have Alcoholics Anonymous, they have Narcotics Anonymous. But for people with families with mental health issues, um, there, there is a group, I can't remember the name now, but it's like you're diving in a pool of your same refuge, refuse rather. Mm. You know, it's like, why do I want to go and talk about this? That I'm just going to have to go home and face it again tonight, you know? And uh, you don't invite people over for uh, parties and you don't invite them over for this or that because it's embarrassing. Or a parent shows up over medic medicated at a church service for choir on Christmas, or, and then they have to call the ambulance. Every time a parent was in church, then the ambulance was called, then we knew the, uh, we knew the process from there. It was a very egotistic form of mental illness that my family had, which I don't want to go all into, but just suffice to say, childhood was rough for me. I have I had a little brother who was five years younger um, that I thought I was protecting, and I did. He won't ever admit that because his, my parents became his best friend and ally, and uh, he he took the place of the, me, the older brother, who my dad wanted to take over the jewelry business for and all that, but. I went a different way, uh, and it was to a Bible college. What made you want to go to Bible college versus a traditional college? Well, I think because the traditional colleges when we went to, the, I think I, I really would have excelled in, I got a scholarship for a free year at Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, I did. I got a full year scholarship, full ride. The plans that I had for my life, if they weren't religious, were going to be, I was going to go to art school. Of course, glad I didn't do that now because there are no art teachers. That was all cut out. Um, but I found ways to use it in the church, you know, my my music, the uh, playwriting, um, all the different things that I had gifted as a person really fit, you know, it was consistent when I would take these tests. It would always come out with me as a social worker, pastor, anything was in the realm of social services. What, do you think that was because of you're growing up and wanting to help other families. I wanted to understand my mom. Okay. I and people, and myself. I, I had one teacher, a mentor, actually looked me eye and said, "Cut the crap. You want to find out if you're crazy or not. You no, know, is it going to affect your life the way it's affected your family, you and your family?" Hmm. And I said, "Yeah, this is probably part of it." And don't you think most people who are psychologists or psychiatrists go in the same way? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, they agreed with that. Needless to say, my father was a 
not a positive influence or a positive person in my life for any reason. Which is sad, really. But What were Father's Days like when you were younger? Oh, I loved them. Because um, I had you guys, you know. Father's Days were great, they were cool. Um, when my father reintroduced himself to our family by just showing up on Father's Day weekend, that really ticked me off. So, so um, what what happened there? There was a there was a disconnect. Yep. At some point. Yep. And my grandpa, your dad, was gone for a while. Yes, I. Uh, well, part of the interview is. Say me. whatever you want to say, and I'll edit edit out. Okay. Part of this interview, too, is going to be, if we do it long enough, it has to come out that I am now and always was a gay man. But back then, you didn't say that. You didn't admit that to yourself. You didn't whisper it to yourself. You knew you would lose everything if that came out. Because my job's always had to do with connections of churches and weddings and... Um, you know, just being that pastor, being that pastoral counselor, being beloved Pastor Bob, and then going to spawn of Satan overnight was a was a rocky ride. It was astonishing, and I went like to your mother and said, "I've got to go for counseling." And the next question I knew was going to go right down the rabbit hole. Oh, you want to see Pastor? I said, "No, I want to go for some real honest to goodness." psychiatric care because I worked in it for years you know and then the, the church thing happened half all the time and she said well if you're going to a secular counselor what's it about I said I can't talk to you about it right now but just know that I, it's going to affect you and us and yeah. well you can't just let me you know, do that and I said I understand okay here it is and I told her I am, I am really a gay man, and I think you've known it my whole, my whole life. I've known it my whole life, but we're not allowed to know it. And uh, she said, oh, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, there's plenty of people that are coming out now, and there's wives to talk to, and people who come out to talk to. But it, it was around the world in three days, I mean. Pray for Pastor Bob, my friends down in El Salvador. You know, the spirit of homosexuality grabbed onto him. And, you know, oh, it used to make yeah. me so upset. Things that I had said in counseling in private don't matter if you're gay. I don't know why that doesn't count, but they don't have to keep confidentiality. Well, they should and should yeah. have. Yeah. And I had incidents, one big one, of one of my doctors who actually told the medicine that I was on at, uh, in the corner of the restaurant speaking loudly enough that I shouldn't be working with children. And uh, it was reported to me by somebody six, six, a six-hour drive away. And when they called me up, these things all true, what's going on, where are you at? And it was all pre-internet, really. Yeah, oh yeah, pretty much right at the edge. And I'm really kind of glad because it, it came out quick, but it, still the quicker that I would have wanted. So I ended up going where people I knew would at least accept me. I don't know if I would have, uh, uh, I had thought about you know driving the car into uh, one of the pilings going down to Oklahoma, and at least they'd have $150,000, you know, you guys would and they wouldn't have the embarrassment. Um, uh, well, even back then, before I knew much of anything, it was never an embarrassment for me. I mean, I don't know that I've ever told you that, but mm. y you were the first person that I was aware of, which we talked later, that there were a lot of gay people in our lives yeah. previous, but, but you coming out was the opening for me to know that Surprise. I should not believe all of the shit that the pastors spoke from the pulpit about how terrible these people were because they weren't these spawn of Satan, horrible, whatever. Um, 
And you, you know, lived with me, traveled with me, ministered with me. I saw you. You were, you were and still are one of the most caring people and big-hearted people I've ever known. Thank you. And a lot of people took advantage of that. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, that's true. But, uh, again, I mentioned that that word codependent. You know, I really was. Uh, not anymore. I can't be. <laughs> There's nobody to be codependent with. Let's, but, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. Let's, let's step back a little bit. So we were talking, growing up, yeah. rough, rough growing up. Yeah. And there was, there was a time where basically grandpa cut you out of their lives. Okay, this is the debatable well, part. No, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I've, right. I've, I've heard lots of different okay, the, parts of the story from different people, and so I don't know what's going okay, on. Okay, well, will, you will hear my side then. Yeah, that's what I want. Okay. Um, my mom and dad had just been through the transition of me being a different church <laughs> or a different, you know, religious opportunities and they were we were charismatic you know we aligned were, ourselves were they lutheran lutheran okay. um, we aligned ourselves with pat robertson which i can't believe was happening now but and they really aligned themselves with the senate you know of the church and the missouri senate right the so American missouri senate yeah, they are the strictest uh one in the uh of all the lutherans you can pick it's the strictest um and so what happened was they were confronted with seeing who I was as opposed to who they thought I was in this pastor role. And he came to a home fellowship group one time and just, my dad just cried his eyes out and said, anything Bob's done, going to college, getting his degree, you know, singing and traveling like he does and did, you know, he's done all on his own. I've never helped him a bit. And I'm just really proud of him and stuff. I couldn't even hug him. It was so strange because that's I would have, all I would have wanted um, was him to step forward and give me a hug from the back or a side hug or something. Was not affectionate when you were. Younger. Oh no, no. And then my mother was the opposite. You know, she was always on me crying and how come we get beat and why does your father do this and he's a religious man and blah 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 I'm looking for a support really from you when she oh, shouldn't yeah. have had to yeah okay so this is what happened at the Bible college I went within three months he had beaten her up she called me at the dorm said why is Jesus letting me be beat up I broke my hand on the wall it was a dorm situation broke my hand called one of my good friends we got in the car and we drove to Cleveland and was already preparing. I didn't know it. He was lifting weights and stuff. Well, when I left, he knew he'd have to take over, you know, but he was not going to have dad put a hand on him. So the first time well, I got home with my friend and I told my dad, I said, you know what? Things are going to be different. I said, I'm a different person. I'm far away. The police aren't. And I, if I have to call the police now, you can't come and slap me around and beat me up. And I have a feeling he's prepared himself for you. And uh, the first fight they had, had put him in the hospital with two broken ribs. So that's what I told him. I said, and then I'll have you all warmed up and I'll come down and hit the same wounds. I said, you know, you don't. And then they said, well, all we've done for you. I said, let's not go there. I don't want to go into what you've done for me. Okay, so, I don't know how this got out, but we were tolerating each other. As long as I was the best pastor, you know. I had the, the neatest family. Uh, we were all closed in a uh, binary on, on, uh, on Sundays. And now, at this point, when he visited, were there kids or not? You were... You were were you married? Or oh, I had all three of you guys. Yeah. At that point, yeah, okay. Because they weren't too involved with their dogs at that time. Hmm. And it was a 10-year gap where they would rather see their dogs and be with their dogs than with you guys. So we tried to get them on that point and get more involved in their lives, which I was against, but we, we did it because your mom wanted to have a relationship with you. They would keep sending me cards for my birthday for 
um, for, uh, you know, just regular cards, birthdays, Christmas, Father's Easter. Day, huh? Easter, yeah. stuff like that. It was a normal, a more normal family life with me out of the house because I didn't see it every day. The chaos was not there every day. Right. And uh, I finally got a, a card that ticked me off enough that I called him up and the card more or less said, have a Merry Christmas and may you find the one who loves you more than anyone in the world. And uh, I didn't think I was with anybody at that time in my life. And uh, then they said, my mom said, of course, she's a bit mentally ill. Uh, she said, yeah, yeah, and you, uh, uh, and you uh, are going to hell. And I just don't want to see you go to hell. And so every time they contacted me, it was always a sucker punch. It's, oh, hello, we love you, how are you doing? Boom, you're going to hell, we wish we could help you. And you're influencing your kids and blah blah. Did blah. they know you were gay at this time? No, this was this was just because this is you just were more, our This stuff. is just more because you were not in the conservative Christian movement that they wanted you a part of, and under their control, or under their control. Okay, doing what they wanted me to do for them. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that part. I knew they'd sent those cards and that they were saying those things, but I didn't realize it was. Literally because you were going to a, a church that they didn't like like much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I told them then, I said, if you can't write me a decent letter without telling me that I'm going to hell or that you love me because I can't talk to you. I said, feel free to call. Feel free to send letters. We can talk about any other subjects in the world. But take your hands off my salvation. Um, and, my, and my kid's salvation. Just take, take your hands off it. You know? And that's when they, they did. They never had contact with me after that. Hmm. Not once. Except at the end, I got to check your mom twice. Grandma, twice. And that was kind of fun because it was kind of a secret thing. <laughs> uh, I called up the nursing home to find out, you know, what bedroom she was in, you know. And I, I left a message, and uh, and then I called back later, like another day, and she said, "Oh, you're a nice man," and left a message. So she wasn't even sure that it was you specifically, right? right. Or somebody was in the room. Last one I talked to her. I got to actually tell her I loved her before. Oh, she said, yeah, you too. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, she said, well, I got to go now. I got therapy. I said, oh, I understand that. Yeah. I said, is it okay if I call again? She said, oh, yeah, sure, anytime. So, yeah, that's how the way that went. And you know the rest pretty much. Yeah. You got any specific other questions about that? Yeah, thing? so, um, well, you... Went to Bible college. You met mom. Uh, it didn't go quite like you thought. You guys broke up for a while. We dated. We dated for five years. We're married for 20. Good record for a straight guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost halfway there. Yeah. yeah 13 no. years. Oh, that's more than halfway. Yeah. And you're about the age when I flip the switch, so. Oh, well, there you go. Yep. I have no surprises. <laughs> so tell me what it was like switching from not being a parent to being a parent. And then what sort of feelings you had maybe when you went from one to two or two to three. Oh, my gosh. I wanted a family so bad because I wanted to create something that I never had. Um, I can remember having breakfast with you kids on a day off or so, a Saturday or a Sunday, and the light would be coming through, and we'd be having biscuits and gravy, you know. This is when you were little, littler, in the trailer park and stuff. And I would just burst into tears because I was just so happy, you know, with you guys and with uh, um, how I had a relationship was with my kids. And um, that was... Uh, Great. Having one was super, as I'm sure you found out, because 
you don't realize it at the time, but that's going to be the time that that oldest one will remember the most. Like you helping me with the van and wearing the little bow tie. Yeah. And so, and, uh, I thought that was great to have a year that I could just be with you as a four-year-old. And we would have, you know, we would go to McDonald's and I'd get you orange juice and I'd get coffee. And it was just really a cool time. So after being in the ministry for years, years yeah. doing everything from worship leader to counseling to uh, special event coordinator, uh, playwright, playwright, or did a catering and, mm-hmm. you know, all such different stuff like that. Yep. You came out. Yep. There was a big backlash. Big backlash, yep. After that kind of settled down. And you and I established a relationship independently of the church, the church or any of our family. Yep. Um, you, for a while, went to uh, CTS in Chicago. Yep. What, what were you doing there? <laughs> that was the best years of my life in school ever. I remember, never, didn't think I would get accepted, number one, because you got to be at a certain level academically. Hmm. And I always put myself down academically. And I made it. I got in. And uh, their theological seminary is not one based on evangelical terms. It's based on spiritual terms. And they truly had um, religious studies. And you really did study other religions and other bodies of, of written work, like the Quran and the Torah. Or, we based our studies every day on the Hebrew Bible, and uh, then related that to this one. It was wonderful, and I would have made it. I was three classes short, then I got my disability. And uh, you can't be on disability and be getting money for um, your degree too. So. Well, I loved it. No, I absolutely loved it. What What was your end goal of, of attending there? What, once you would have graduated, what My, did you want to do? I wanted to be, um, <laughs> go back to doing what I was doing anyway, just getting paid more. Mm. Um, I was an assistant to the director of social services. So anything they wanted me to do, I would go and do interviews and take interviews. Um, I would fill out paperwork write it, type it up, make sure all of the stuff, my paperwork was in order, make sure the doctor's signatures were in the right places. Um, I did crisis intervention counseling, which involved taking guns and knives away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a rush, really, too. It was, uh, when you see these places, like Chicago Hope, mm-hmm. you know, in the place they actually filmed this at, was doing those things. Um, is it true when I was a kid you 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 weren't directly on TV but the story was covered about a man getting talked down having a gun and being I forget where somewhere yeah yeah the AK-47 yeah it was it was I had to talk him out of there's two one I had to talk him out of killing the wife and the wife's lover and he had hid this, he had hid this, he was an ex-cop and now a lawyer. And he had actually hidden that last gun. And I did talk him into admitting that and then he was gonna rat, then he was gonna tie me up. And I said, no, no, don't tie me up. I said, I don't want you to be, you know, shot or anything like that. And that's a very aggressive act. And he, uh, he said, well, he really appreciated it. He knows killing him is not the thing, but killed him. He had it all figured out in his head. Well, he and I had a unique relationship, and I usually could end up in a relationship with people and get them to trust me, you know, at places like that. And he did, and he gave me his AK-47 and his keys. I wrapped it in the gun. I wrapped the gun in one of his coats and I brought it back to the hospital, which was not real. Well, what was I going to do with it? 
So, <laughs> so wait, so this, so this is not including it in your training. You have to fly on your feet. Okay, but so you knew this guy previously to this incident? No, I just. How didn't. did you get pulled into this situation, I guess? Because I was the one who took patients' places. I was the one who got them ready to go out in the regular world for different things. That was part of my job as okay. a Christian counselor. So after, <clears throat> after the church basically said, you know, don't talk to your dad, he's a terrible person, and they were lying, um, they tried to drive a wedge between you and I, and that did not happen. That's neat here. Um, it worked with my sisters. But now I feel like we have a good relationship. Oh yeah, best. Um, and it's been going on for quite a while. It's yeah. funny uh, because one of the guys you used to date for a while, I roomed with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abigail and I got married, and she went to D.C. for a year for training to be a flight attendant. And while she was out there, I lived with your ex, who I, I'm still friends with, and we it's still talk. Hilarious. And, and it is funny when people... How did that out. happen? I always wondered, how did that come about? He, he, let's see very generally, he and I went out to lunch, or he and I and Abigail went out to lunch, and it, it came up a conversation, what, what were we doing? We, we had the small wedding, a year later uh, we had the regular wedding, where we went to an opera house, and she got all dressed up and I did tux, and we had the reception and everything because we couldn't afford it the first time. Right. Not that we could afford it the second time, credit card <laughs> made it happen. Um, <clears throat> and somewhere around then, it came up where we were talking to him and said, well, you know, Abigail's got a place out there and she had like three roommates. So, it's, you know, it, in and of itself, DC even back then was expensive. Yeah. So she had to have multiple roommates to afford it. And then I couldn't stay in the same place we were. So he offered, he said, hey, I have an extra room. And I think whoever was there before was either moving out or had recently moved out. And he yeah. said, you know, come stay with me for a while. And... That worked out for a year or so. Well, and then you got to see who I who I was with, you know. Um, great guy. Great guy. We, we we hung out. We still hang out every once in a while. He loves the kids. Um, we were. He was one of the first people that we told when Abigail was expecting. Yeah. For for Wesley back a few years ago, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people think it's funny. Oh, you know, well, how do you know? Well, you know, he's my ex's son. We, he stayed with me for a while, well, you know. <laughs> it's just weird. Like I've, I've, lear- especially through the whole experience, I've learned really how uptight people can be from the conservative religious side, mm-hmm. and how uncalled for it is. No, it's true. That there are so many things that people do that don't affect others, and they don't like the fact that they are not in control of that for some reason. It scares them. Yep. When it has nothing to do with how they live their daily lives. I was always one who pushed people, though. And before I came out or ever had an experience, I was all about affection. I needed friends. I needed people who were genuine in my life. So then the people, they didn't know what to do with me because they were so close. Once you came out? Once, no, no, no. In, before I came out. Um... And they wanted to know, um, was your lust after me? And I'd say, no, that's a pretty big ego you got there. I said, no, I said, you're not my type, you know. And uh, it's just different. You're a friend. You're not, you're not someone I want to have that kind of relationship. And uh, you just enjoyed spending time with them, and oh yeah, and our I families them. would get together, and we'd do movie nights and play cards and campfires and, and I could get stuff. them to be genuine and talk to me and mm-hmm. most men can't do that and that's why I was their best friend you know because they could open up and talk to me about anything and I was truthful I, I, I talked to them about everything except one thing because I knew if I shared that one thing mm-hmm. we would never share anything again you know and then when you asked me to go to the uh, father son camp out like I had done for a decade, and make pancakes. So, so before you came out, yeah. we would go to this father-son <laughs> camp out for yes. years and years and years that the church had, and it, it would be a bunch of guys. It'd be the dads and the boys, and we'd all 
you know, do stuff you do at camp. You do go hiking and eat and all that stuff. And take showers. Yeah, well, you know, that's... That was the most hilarious part, that you and I had to have a separate building with a separate bedrooms and take separate showers from everybody after so that we was did, So we did the normal thing back in the day. Dad came out, and then <laughs> it was a big deal when he and I were first putting together a relationship again after I hadn't talked to him for a while because the church did their thing. Um, I said, you know, the Father Son Campout's coming up. It's yeah. really important to me that you come with. Yeah. And my dad was brave, and I had no idea how brave he was until years later, to the point that we went on this father-son campout. My dad even helped with being part of the kitchen crew to cook and everything for this. But because the church we went to at the time ended up being a bunch of homophobic assholes, we attended, but my dad and I were in a completely separate cabin than everyone else. It was like a 30-bed cabin, yeah. right? It was ridiculous. Yeah, the whole... Um, because they were afraid that they were going to catch gay or someone was going to look at someone the wrong way or something ridiculous. Um, but for me, personally, that meant a lot because you and I were just building a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I was still learning that, you know, if you're gay, you're normal. That's a mm-hmm. normal thing. So it was really brave of you to do that, and I'm very thankful that you did that. Uh, you're welcome. Because we spent, you know, a lot of time after that then, going out to eat and talking and mm-hmm. all that other stuff that, that you do when you have a good father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, even more. I think we've, reached, we've uh, reached a level that we're more than father-sons, but we're just friends, you know. Sure. When you don't have anybody, if all of a sudden you get to have this wonderful relationship with your son I'll take that you know mm-hmm. yeah because you came out and you lost your whole friend group yep all and support group your whole support group and then and your family family as well and then because of now your growing disability you you've lost the ability to really go out and make new friends other places because you're confined really to one area yep. most of the time yep Unless we go out together to the doctor or to go shopping or something yeah. like that. Makes sense. Yeah. Now the old fears are back. That if I go to an institution and I have a roommate, you know, do I have to disclose? If I don't disclose, is that withholding or being deceitful or is it just being smart? Um, they didn't ask that question on any of the sheets. Well, I don't know if they legally can. I don't think they can. But I, I'm very cautious now who I tell what. Yeah. I'm just like before, this fantastic coming out that happened in the 90s and 2000s, it is a, it's artificial. It's, it's, it's for the gays who are more like, um, oh, the one program where they, the guy's a lawyer, he has lots of money. and Will and Grace. Will and Grace. That is an unrealistic gay comedy. Um, I I don't know that it's unrealistic in New York or L.A. Well, yeah. Within people who have money. It could be. But here in the Midwest, it's very different. Yeah. I agree. Ellen's first show. Okay? Right. Her first show was spot on. Hers was spot on. Uh, but there's is a sitcom where Ellen was for life. You know, mm-hmm. so I have, if anybody should admire for me, it's, it's Ellen. I absolutely love that woman. I think she's funny, I think she's smart, I think she has um, handled herself well like Obama. I mean, I put them both in a piece in a pot, one because of racial issues, the other because of LGBT issues. And they've gone above and beyond what they've had to do to be who they want to be and need to be. So, obvious question. Yeah. How did we meet? <laughs> Met you in the hospital. <laughs> uh, there was a strange lady yelling my name. <laughs> Bob, get in here. I know I was in there all the whole time. Um, we met because you were born and there was a. I was supposed to be at another friend's wedding that, that night. It was a Friday night, rehearsal dinner. 
we couldn't go and uh, but it was glorious it was uh, it's just something that happens to you that you know about now when you become a dad that you're scared to death but happy as ever but no as each kid came along you look experienced it would too but when the third one came we ran out of hands and it was just we just you know, couldn't carry the bottles and the things. You've um, obviously seen me from being a young child all the way up to now late late thirties. Uh, I, I joke that I'm almost forty, but I'm a few years away from that yet. How do you think I've changed uh, since I was a kid, and how do you think I've kind of remained the same? How have you changed? Um, you're a lot more talkative. Um, I was a quiet kid. Yeah, and then uh, uh, a gentleman at church came into your life and changed a lot of it. I think it was good because it pushed me in directions that I had to do. Like, if you had to get up on that stupid thing and walk across, you know, the the beams and even on the ropes course. Yeah, yeah, we did one time. Yeah, and even if I thought it was silly and. I was afraid to death of it. I had to do it because you had to do it. And I thought, crap. You know? <laughs> what was that? It, it wasn't that high up. Yeah, but I was 350 pounds. No, that's true. And I had problems at work with Mr. You know, he would give me those little bitty things he would like. He would scatter like a monkey across. And the I, I'm like scaffolding a, when you're yeah. a painter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the 10 inch boards that had cracks in them when you're at the top of the ladders, you know. And I was really afraid of heights. So that helped me with the, the afraid of heights. You went through a whole big process of where you landed with tenets of faith and things like that. Oh, yeah. Where, where do you place yourself now? I am a mystic deist because I always thought my relationship with God was very real as to where I even, you know, heard. I thought I knew who, where my voice was and where the Holy Spirit's voice was. But it was the Holy Spirit's voice that I recognized that told me to come out. So that made no sense at all. Hmm. I thought maybe I was supposed to be a martyr or, or whatnot, but yeah. And my, my relationship now is the most relaxed I've ever been. I'm not afraid for you and boys and, and, and you know, I'm not, you know, we're, your mom would probably say, oh, I don't want to see him go over that precipice, that picture I was telling you. Yeah, about. we're heathens now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to see you go over that precipice and into the flames. And I, don't re I don't feel responsible for that because I don't believe that's going to happen. I, I just, that is an Old Testament Hebrew Bible story. And I think that's why Chicago... Um, theological seminary was so pivotal for me is I got to read the Hebrew Bible and find out that there were 18 commandments, you know, and they were written thousands of years before the Hebrews came along. And I could see where they would pick up things from this and that. And oh, I like these. You know, it's kind of like a grocery shop for the theology. And that was good because that separated the Old Testament and the New Testament for me. And then when it came to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that's where we got into the mystic parts. Because we have never talked about some of these things where I was convinced I'm charismatic because um, I speak in tongues. I have done healings and seen people actually heal from cancer that lived for another over 20 years. Right, proof on x-rays. It was there. We prayed. She didn't go to surgery. It was not there. The doctors did it again. We took the pictures. We brought them out. We looked at them, and there was no cancer there. And uh, this is evolutionary, too. So I'm I have I'm, seen... I'm, I'm glad you have faith in that. I, I don't. Yeah, well, it's, it's just... I don't know. Because, like who, an example like that, the the original 
one that said that she had cancer could have been wrong. It could have been someone else's. It could have been switched in the record somewhere else and not actually been her results. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to diminish right. that. I'm just but saying... you didn't know the individual you know. in the sun. The sun was on his knees praying for her every night. And it wasn't my faith at all. It was the sun's faith. And whether or not it was God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, it happened. You know, for, for all I know, it could have been aliens that came down in the, you know, the uh, conspiracy theory. In the area, uh, they created us and they left the DNA and we were, you know, I, I don't know. But I feel a lot more comfortable with this Good. than I do the judgmental hateful, dark Christianity. So so you're not you're not ashamed of the fact that I'm a beer drinking, whiskey drinking, uh, non religious adult? No, not at all. Not unless you start to abuse it and it affects your life or the kids' lives or Well that makes sense. Abigail's life, but you know you know, it's a normal way of life. It's, you know, we say talking about where we started, my grandmother, she had a glass of wine uh, every night before she went to bed. And my grandfather, stone cold alcoholic, if you give him one drink, he might as well have a hundred. You know? Wow. Yeah. Both grandfathers were that way. They used to take me to other places on Sundays to get haircuts and be and play games at their bar and show me off as their grandson. <laughs> well, you could do that back then? Yeah. I mean, I guess they didn't have the rules of... No, no, no 21. It stuff. said under 21, not supposed to be here. But they would bring the old-timers and bring grandsons in. Because mm. it was their money that built those establishments. It just, yeah, it wasn't enforced back then like it is now. Oh, no. Yeah. No, so that's where I'm at. I'm not a stone-cold atheist yet. I can't let myself do that. I want to believe there's something loving somewhere something a pearl that has a little bit of hope in it. Then I go on back on your side and I think, well, if there is a God, why? Why, why, why? God is either an asshole or is completely incompetent. Exactly. And this is where you get me teetering on that edge. Well, I don't, I mean, it's just one of those things that like, Either God is in control and is an asshole, or God started something that he or she cannot control and is not really a God, but is just another life form that has some more power than we do. Yeah. Just like we have more power than foxes. What does your fox? <laughs> but I don't have that answer. I don't think anyone does. Well, see, that's just it. If you want to, you want to. You want to figure out that somehow your life has or has had meaning. And uh, that's what it comes down to. And some of these inspirational people that you listen to, you think, how did they survive that? Or how did they do it with no arms and no legs? You know? change a baby's diaper with their feet and cook like, I don't know how they do that I've, it, I've seen those people and they're yeah. amazing I don't know how they could do that I can't like write with my left hand let alone yeah. do anything constructive with my feet and that particular, that particular woman doesn't even get assistance she has a husband and they have regular salaries wow yeah she doesn't even get food assistance or anything no I guess I was thinking again yesterday, I, I'm going to end up writing one of those books, but I want to know one, I want to write one first, I think, about kindness. And have attributes for the kids, you know. What is kindness? What should we do? How do you show kindness? We can publish a book. Oh, yeah, I would like to do that, because that's my goal with the two boys, is that, and I'm sure it's your goal too, is that we really grow, grow up as decent human beings. Well, then, what's a decent human being? Is it one that, like his dad who cusses like a sailor? And you know, um, yes. And I think I think it would be a good book after I've gone for you and Wesley or you and 
uh, Theo to talk about why they are kind now, or did, did the teaching help them be kind, or feel like they should be kind? And not out of a should be of retribution, if they're not, but to see the value of a human's worth. You know, besides eight dollars and seventy-nine cents and whatever it is. No, well, absolutely, and and I think that especially if you're doing it outside of religion, if you believe that you only have one time around, you want to try and make the best of it, both for yourself, family, and friends, but for total strangers. If you're not going out of your way, you know, you're not going to destroy your home, mm -hmm. your home's value to help someone out necessarily, but. If you can let someone go at the stop sign, if you can give someone an extra meal, if you can make sure that your extra clothes go to a shelter or go to someone who needs it versus just throwing it out, yeah, it's really important. And a lot of these people that profess to be Christians now, they don't. Mm -hmm. They got theirs, and they don't care because they believe in the end. You know, they're gonna end up in heaven in some mm -hmm. fantastical place while they're screwing people over here on Earth. Yeah, I've got the concepts like right here, and I can see that it can be a multi, it will be a series, it will be a series of these issues. And then at the end, then we can do the funny stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end say, you know, we, we may be heretics, so we wanted to, we thought these were important heresies. Yeah. <laughs> that, that humanity shouldn't lose. Why should the writers of Disney be in charge of our moral standing and anything. Well, especially because they like killing parents in their stories. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, how many of the Disney classic movies that make so much money, they don't have parents, or their parents die in the movie? I mean, as a parent, I, I, I it makes me uncomfortable to follow <laughs> Disney things because of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> see, then their uh, counterpoint of we must all be together because we all only have each other, you know. That comes along uh, if they don't have parents and they, that's the theme for most of it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that works out for some people. I mean, if it wasn't for Christian Bible studies and stuff when I was 16, 15, I wouldn't have had places to sleep for. The Christian Bible community really help me as a person, you know. Well, and I don't mean to say that there aren't Christians out there that aren't good people. Right. But it tends to be the loudest ones in our society right now are the shittiest. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure we'll we'll do this again. Oh, I hope so. I really enjoy it. And um, thank you for listening. I hope you guys tune in to my next episode. Cheers.